0: Well, good morning, everyone. Are you all happy and breathing? Good. After I've been preaching for two and a half hours, you won't be. I can promise you that. Now, um, a little, uh, just a word of ex- explanation about a couple of things this morning. First of all, Sally's not here. Uh, she's having to tend to her father, who's not very well. I had to go into hospital yesterday, so she was there all yesterday, and she's trying. To, I say she's trying to visit him today. They moved him hospitals without telling us, so she's sort of doing a tour of the northeast to try and find him in a hospital somewhere but eventually when we catch up with him you know she'll be looking after him there so appreciate your prayers and understanding there second thing is I'd like to introduce you to a very dear friend of ours who's a a more recent friend we got to know this guy just over a year ago when we were visiting uh, Pastor Cesar's house in uh, Miami in Florida and he happened to have staying with him at the time I think Richard and Manu were Richard and Manu in the house at that time as well between houses or something weren't they yeah so Chris, would you stand up? This is Chris Navak. He's uh, uh, visiting from the States for 10 days. And uh, thank you, Chris. Um, he accepts invitations to dinner, as long as it's expensive, delicate, um, particular food, and he likes friendship and he likes to mix and mingle with people. You may not have heard the name Navak, but uh, he has a wonderful mum and dad and a sister. By the way, do get in with his sister. His sister works for Nike. So if you want to be well-equipped with all the latest logos for a fraction of the price, his sister is the, the, the person. But she's already got a boyfriend. I'm sorry, fellas. But um, <laughs> nevertheless, I'm sure she's a lovely person in herself as well. <laughs> but, um, but Chris's grandparents are also super people. They're from Germany. And you may have heard of his grandfather. His grandfather was the main speaker a couple of years ago in Bogota at the conference there. His name is Reinhard Bonke. So, this guy is uh, an awesome guy in himself. He's actually studying in Bible school over in Reading, where Bill Johnson uh, and his ministry are based in California. That's, that's the hot Reading in California, not the, the cooler, wetter one in the south of England that uh, we have to put up with. So, um, Chris is sort of uh, going to be going back there and working and studying for another year there. So, we're just great to have him for this window for 10 days. So, Chris, you're really welcome. Thank you for coming and chancing England. And he's kind of semi-English at heart anyway, you know, he's, he's going to get on well here, I can see that. All right, now, this week, uh, I want to take a title called A Vision for My Life, and hang on, that was our title last week. Well, that was part one, and this is part two, because the story is continuing. So, A Vision for My Life, part two. Let's pray And then we'll get into a little summary of last week and then the scripture. Father, we thank you now for your word. Why don't you pray with me because it's better. Put your hand on your heart. Father, speak to my heart. Change my life. Minister to my spirit. Touch me. Open my eyes. Reveal more of yourself, more of yourself. In, Jesus in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now last week we looked at the story of Abram from Genesis 12 and we picked out the key phrase, I will make you a great nation. And we noticed last week that it was God that said this, I will make you, not I will make myself, or me will make me, but God will make you and me a great nation. And as we looked at the promises of God, thank you, um, we saw this was a promise that came to Abraham, and when Christ died and rose again, it's a promise that Christ also gathered up to himself. And it's expressed in the Psalms, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. And in Christ when we become Jesus' followers through being born again and committing our lives to him, that promise also becomes our promise because the Bible says all of God's promises, and I'm quoting the older version now, some of you will know where I'm coming from, are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. There's something more memorable and poetic about that one, I think. So, the question I want to consider today is this. If God is going to make us a great nation... How's he going to do it? And that's what we're going to look at today. And to do that, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 15, which I had all beautifully laid out here and I've managed to lose again. Genesis chapter 15. We're going to actually read the whole chapter because it's hard to break in on this incredible story. Genesis 15. After this... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no uh, children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son Coming from your own body will be your heir. He, that's God, took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, And dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they'll be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Amen. Now, there are three things that God wants to do with us that I want to pick out this morning in order to make us into a great nation. Here they are in summary. See something, resist something, believe something. And those are going to be my three points as we go through this message. Now, you'll notice something straight away about those three things. See, resist, and believe. You'll notice those are all internal things They're things that are hidden from the outside. They are part of an inner life. They're an inner dialogue and an inner spiritual battle. It's a battle for something called faith. And the result of having that inner spiritual life And going through these stages is that God can do what he's promised to make us into a great nation. Now, you may look the same on the outside, walking down the street as everybody else. But actually, you're not. You are different on the inside. Inside of you, if you know the Lord Jesus, is a spiritual life that's turning over and Dialoguing with the Holy Spirit and reaching out to God and dialoguing with yourself and fighting for things and resisting things. And, 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 and this inner life is working in you wherever you may be. It's real, even though it's hidden. It's God-inspired. It's God-breathed. It's God-given. It's God-awakened. It's a, a God-given spiritual life. Let me ask you a question now. Do you have one? Do you have an inner life? Because if you don't, you can have one. And if you do, God bless you. So the message today is this. If you do have an inner spiritual life, stay tuned, because you're going to find out a little bit more about how that life works and how it affects you. And if you don't have an inner spiritual life, stay tuned, because you're going to find out how to get one. Now, three things happened to Abraham or Abram as his name is here, that began to make him into a great nation. They're they're simple things. They're not complicated, but they are essential things. Here's the good news. there are things that any of us here can do. There is no restriction. Any person alive on the planet can do these three things. So will you turn to the person next to you and say, I can do these things, even though you don't know what they're going to be yet? Good. Now, the way to do these things is to commit to them. And the challenge, as always, with spiritual things is not how rich you are, how poor you are, how well-educated you may be or may not be, how high or low your social standing is, what kind of job you have. The challenge with spiritual things is this. Will I commit? Do you know, some of the richest men in the world can't commit. Some of the most famous people in the world can't commit. You sitting here have more power at your disposal, more ability in your hand right now. You're richer than Bill Gates. You're more powerful than Tom Cruise. We saw him the other day, by the way. I just want you to know if you, if you see Instagram, you know, I waved to Tom, he waved back, you know, like we're all, He did actually, he waved back. I'm serious, this is true. But you know what? You're richer, more famous more capable, more powerful than posh, rich people, famous people like that. You've got something that the world can't give and the world can't take away. And I'll stop there. I'll start singing and embarrass myself and all of us. So let me caution you from the start, though, is this. Though it's all perfectly possible, these three things are costly. They involve time and energy and commitment. They involve a commitment to desiring and investing in your inner spiritual life and to winning through in a particular, in a struggle. You ready for the three things? This is how it used to be on the radio when I was a kid. Are you sitting comfortably? Anybody know how to finish it off? Good, then I'll begin. Right, some of you have heard the same things I have. Okay. So the first thing is this in order to be made into a great nation you have to see something and the thing you have to see this you have to see, is this you have to see a vision now genesis 15:1 that we just read says this after this the word of the lord came to abram in a vision now you'll notice in chapter 12, if, if you even cast your mind back to last week, God spoke to him, but it doesn't say he spoke in a vision. God can speak to us in different ways. By the way, how many of you are glad that our God is the God who speaks? I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're glad because the Bible promises the, one of the key differences between this God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who loves every one of us, is he speaks. So can I say to you, if he speaks, listen to him. Expect him to speak to you. And when he does speak, please don't be apologetic about it. Say, I felt God speak to me. God's been speaking to me through his word. God showed me a picture. God made this impression on my heart. Be willing to say, God speaks to you. Because that's what distinguishes our God from the idols of the nations. Thank God, our God is the God who speaks. Amen? And he's speaking to you every day. Now, God probably spoke to him in Genesis 12 in a voice. I mean, how do you imagine God spoke to Abraham? It says the word of the Lord came to Abraham. What do you imagine happened in those days? I imagine he was in a quiet place somewhere, and somehow inside of him, he felt this voice speaking to him. I mean, it may have been from outside. My feeling is it's probably like a voice, but inside of him making an impression on him, but clearly giving words as well. But in this chapter, he says he speaks to him in a vision. Now, speaking speaking in a vision is different. And we need to ask ourselves, why would God speak to him one way at one time, and then here he speaks to him in a different way in a vision? You see, vision implies something. Remember, God is taking Abraham on a journey, not just physically, but in faith. And he's saying to you, I will make you into a great nation. And in order to make you into a great nation, the first thing he does is speak to him in a vision. Vision speaks of insight. It speaks of understanding. It speaks of getting hold of something. It speaks of revelation. It speaks of something visual in front of his eyes. Now, why does God do that? Why does God speak to us, sometimes in a voice, sometimes in a vision in front of our eyes? See, it's very hard to listen to my voice when you're visually distracted, isn't it? Did you notice your attention going to my watch then? See, your eyes are very dominant, and what we see tends to grab our attention even more than what we hear. You'll all know that from school, won't you? Come on, hands up. How many of you fell asleep when the teacher was just talking? Oh, look at all these sinners as a form. There's quite a few. Boy, you must have had some terrible school life here. I can remember some of those warm summer afternoons and the teacher droning on and your head kind of nodding and. Going like, listen, it's hard to listen sometimes. But when you see something, if the teacher puts the TV on or shows you something or demonstrates something, that's a lot easier to concentrate. God wants to get our attention. He wants to demonstrate something to us. He wants us to understand and get insight. So he gives Abraham a vision, something that will get a hold of his attention and really make an impact on him. Now, let me see if I can demonstrate this another way. Roxanne, I wonder if you can come and join me up on the stage here. Yes, I know. She's she's primed for this, but thank you for helping. Now, can I... I just want to say something to you here. Our name is International Harvest Church. So we're going to do something a bit international here. This is to help Chris, because he's just come to Newcastle for the first time, and he needs a bit of help to understand the way things are here. And if you're not British-born... I hope this will help you. So here we're going to have Lessons in Being English number one. How to queue for a bus. Okay. So. ¿Listos? Ready? Oh, it's not good. Are you going to here? Oh, no, you're going through your headphones. I'll, I'll carry on doing it like this. No, it's working. Okay. ¿Están listos?
1: Are you ready? Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Okay, now this is John.
1: Les a John.
0: And he wants to catch the bus.
1: Él quiere to, go eh, to work. Here's bus. the
0: bus stop here for you, John?
1: Tomar el bus para ir al trabajo.
0: So this is how a British person waits for a bus.
1: Aquí está la parada bus, aquí está un británico esperando un bus.
0: Notice carefully. Mira bien. The vacant look on the face.
1: La mirada vacía de la cara.
0: Now in a moment, another person comes to wait for the bus with John.
1: Bueno, en otro momento llega otra persona para esperar el bus junto con Here's John.
0: Stuart, Aquí llega cup, Stuart. A businessman.
1: Un empresario.
0: Stuart's coming for the bus.
1: Stuart llega para esperar el bus.
0: But because this is England,
1: pero porque está en Inglaterra,
0: he stands next to John.
1: Él se junta a John.
0: But he does not speak to John.
1: Pero no le habla.
0: He does not get too close.
1: No, se acerca demasiado.
0: He does not look at John. No le mira. He makes sure their eyes do not make contact.
1: Eh, no tienen contacto entre los ojos.
0: And never, y nunca, ever, nunca say anything, dice nada. unless it's about the weather, of course.
1: Pero pues de pronto acerca del tiempo sí.
0: So he could say, "Nice day."
1: Entonces de pronto dice buen día.
0: And John will go.
1: Y John dice, ah, John lo hace así.
0: That's the conversation.
1: Así es la conversación. Now,
0: also at this bus stop because you have to wait a long time in England.
1: Bueno, porque tienen que esperar mucho tiempo en Inglaterra.
0: Along comes another person to go to work this Llega morning.
1: Llega otra persona para ir al trabajo.
0: This is Helen.
1: Les presento a Helen.
0: She's a young lady working in an office.
1: Ella es una joven trabajando en una ofic- oficina. job. Un, trabajo aburrido, work, un viaje aburrido so al trabajo. Boring
0: journey to work.
1: Entonces ella lee mientras tanto.
0: But she's a believer so she's reading the book on Romans.
1: Pero él cree en Dios, entonces está leyendo algo acerca de Romanos. And the good thing
0: about reading is this.
1: Y lo bueno de leer es
0: you don't have to look at anybody.
1: No tienes que mirarle a nadie.
0: And nobody looks at you.
1: Y nadie te mira a ti.
0: And nobody talks to you.
1: Nadie te habla.
0: And she makes sure she stands at a good distance from Stuart.
1: And
0: she doesn't look at him. No le mira. He doesn't look at her. Ella,
1: él no la mira Nobody ella. looks at anybody. Nadie le mira nadie. They're just sort of staring todos around,
0: looking at anything except each other.
1: Todos mirando a todo lo que menos ellos.
0: Well, the bus still hasn't come, so another person comes along.
1: Pero el bus todavía no ha llegado así que otra persona llega.
0: Is a young person.
1: Ella es una persona
0: Full of joven life and y
1: energética. Y porque ellos son diferentes a los demás
0: ellos
1: tienen audífonos.
0: And the good thing about is,
1: y lo bueno de tener audífonos
0: you can't hear anybody.
1: Es que no puedes escuchar a nadie.
0: So hello to you.
1: Así que si te saludan.
0: You can be British and ignore them.
1: puedes ser británico y ignorarlos de, también.
0: And you don't speak to anybody.
1: No le hablas a nadie. And
0: because you've got your phone out.
1: Y porque tienes tu celular. In, tus audífonos.
0: Nobody speaks to you.
1: Nadie te habla a ti. You're
0: getting the idea, Chris.
1: Sí, ya están entiendo, Chris.
0: Okay. He's going to do well at the bus stops after this training. Le irá
1: bien en las paradas de bus después de esto.
0: So. They're all being British.
1: Bueno, todos son muy británicos.
0: Waiting for the bus.
1: Esperando el bus.
0: Neat queue.
1: Una fila muy linda.
0: A nice, you know, a nice, a, li- a nice line here.
1: Una línea muy buena.
0: And nobody moves place.
1: Y nadie mueve de they su lugar.
0: Never jump the queue.
1: Nunca empujan.
0: <laughs> Ever. Nunca. Unless you're pregnant. Menos
1: si estás embarazada.
0: That's that's why Jen got pregnant.
1: <laughs> Por eso se embarazó Jen.
0: <laughs> now, here they all are.
1: Aquí están todos.
0: And basically it's boring waiting for y the bus. Pues
1: es aburrido esperar el bus.
0: But not for one person.
1: Pero no para una persona. Because
0: this person is also going to work on the bus.
1: Porque esa persona también está yendo al trabajo Pero en el bus. But
0: different to the rest.
1: Pero él es diferente.
0: Because this person Porque
1: esta persona
0: he has a different way of waiting for the bus.
1: Tiene una manera diferente de esperar el bus.
0: He comes. See if you can.
1: Y aquí viene.
0: <laughs> this is Doug.
1: Aquí les presento a Doug.
0: And Doug likes computers.
1: A Doug <laughs> le gustan los computadores.
0: So when he's not at home playing games.
1: Así que cuando no está jugando videojuegos en la casa.
0: He wears his virtual reality headset.
1: Él pone el, el headset virtual reality. <laughs>
0: ¿Qué es la palabra? <laughs> no sé. <laughs> ok. Now, you notice how Doug stands in the queue differently to everybody bueno, else.
1: Ya se dan cuenta que Doug es un poco diferente a los demás.
0: Please note... This is not British.
1: Pueden dar cuenta que eso no es británico.
0: This is the very worst thing you can do as a British person. Eso es
1: lo peor que uno puede hacer como británico.
0: The others will now turn and look at him.
1: Los demás todos ya van a mirarle a él.
0: And you'll notice how unhelpful their looks are. Y se dan
1: cuenta como que las miradas no son muy amables.
0: They are superior and British.
1: Ellos son mejores que él. Ellos they son
0: británicos. self Son
1: tranquilos.
0: They would never dream of behaving like this.
1: Nunca soñarían con actuar así.
0: But Doug is captivated.
1: Pero Doug está captivado. He doesn't captivado. care what they think. No le importa lo que piensan ellos.
0: Because in front of his eyes,
1: porque en sus ojos,
0: is a different vision.
1: Hay otra visión.
0: When you have a different vision, cuando
1: uno tiene otra una visión diferente,
0: it changes everything. Lo
1: cambia todo.
0: Even if you're British.
1: Aún si eres británico.
0: Amen. Thank you very much, guys. You Muchas gracias. Thank you, Roxana. We are the church that likes to give you everything, you know, full lessons in how to be British. So, Now, God wants Abraham to see something. And he gives him this, I'm still waiting for the translation now, I've got so used to that. He gives him the spiritual equivalent of virtual reality goggles. He says, Abraham, if this is ever going to work, you've got to have a visual experience, something that grabs your attention, that's my word into your life, that's so powerful you cannot ignore it and it'll be so real to you, you won't care what everybody else thinks, even the British. And he gives him the next best things to a set of VR goggles. He says, Come outside with me. What do you feel under your feet? Let your toes in those. I imagine they had some kind of flip-flops in those days, you know, some sort of open-toe sandal thing. Just dig your feet into the sand a little bit. What do you feel between your toes every day? Sand. How many grains of sand do you think are at your feet? I don't know, Lord, it's too many to count. That's how your descendants are going to be. Every time you walk on the sand, which is how often? Like all the time, because he's a a nomad living a desert existence, you're going to feel that sand. And as that sand works its way under your feet into those flip-flops and you have to keep going along like this like you do on the beach or wherever, you're going to be reminded. That's your virtual reality. And then at night... When you step outside your tent, what do you see? No street lights, nothing to uh, get in the way of the night sky, no light pollution. You're going to see a beautiful array of stars. Abraham, that's your vision. Every night that the sun goes down, you will see in front of your eyes stars, multitude like stars. And that's what's going to happen to you, Abraham. You will have not just one descendant or two or three. You're going to have more descendants than those stars. This is a bigger thing than you realize, Abraham. This is a greater thing than you realize. And this is your virtual reality reminder. It is with you morning, noon, night and day. It's with you all the time. You can feel it between your toes. You can see it when you step outside your tent in the day. You can see it when you step outside your tent at night this is going to get under your skin, Abraham. This is my vision for you. My vision for you. My reenactment, my my thing that I'm going to superimpose over your eyes, wherever you go and look at the world, you're going to see multitudes. You're going to see stars and sand and you're going to think descendants. That is what god is going to do to me that's how he's going to make me a father of a great nation the first thing he does to make us is to change our vision to change what we see and the problem with the church today in many parts of the world especially this part of the world is most people are like those people in churches are like those people standing at bus stops they're kind of bored you know what am i here for i'm just waiting for this bus to come along that says heaven on the front of it But God wants to make you into a a believer like the guy with the virtual reality headset on. Sure, everybody else is going to look at you and say, that's not very British and Christian. A lot of people are confused because they think that's the same thing. Thank God he's not British. But God wants to give you that headset in front of your eyes so that wherever you look, superimposed, you see souls and cells. And you say to yourself, I will be the father of a nation. I will reach and touch my generation. Now, God wants us to be like Abraham. And he wants us to see a great nation coming out of us. So if I could be blunt with you for just a few minutes... And I'll go back to being nice to you. Get your act together. Put your game face on and get on with it. In a sentence, stop sinning. Stop whinging. Stop making excuses. Grow up. Take responsibility and start doing the Christian life properly for once. There, you can go home now. If you have the sermon. If that's too complicated, let me give you another simple summary of where this message is going. Change! Now! All right, you remember that? I'll do. Never let it be said we don't speak directly to people. Now, remember, we said that. We said the other week, our heart and vision, our goal is to change our natures, our neighbourhoods, and our nation. And it starts with a vision. Only a vision from God will change us. Only a vision from God will change our neighbourhoods. Only a vision from God will change our nation. I don't know which way we're going to vote on July, on June the 23rd. But I tell you what, whatever the result is, it won't change our nation the way a vision from God will. A vision that wor- works in front of your eyes and in front of the lives of believers in this nation, that's what will change the nation. A powerful, transforming, life-changing vision. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a vision from God for your life yet? Do you have this kind of vision? Can you see something, grasp something, get a hold of something, understand something from God yet? Here's a curious thing. Last week, I brought a mirror here. Do you remember? And we had a mirror going around, looking. various ones of us could look in it. Sally put the picture on the internet. Do you know what? Last week, that was the first time I've ever done that in church. Last week, my son, Richard, was in Miami preaching. Guess what he had on stage? A big mirror. Isn't that strange? He put a mirror in front of the church last week. First time he'd ever done that as well. God is good. So the first thing is see something. See a vision from God. The second thing is resist something. And the thing to resist is fear. It says this in Genesis 15 too, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. And 10 verses later in verse 12, it says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And what's happening here in the story? Surely it should get better if you've seen a vision. Actually, it got worse for him. Did you know that? If you see a vision from God, There's a challenge to face, there's something to resist, and it's fear. Now, Abram has seen something, and now it's time to act on it. He's accepted it, he's received it, he's made it his own. But now he's got to do something to set out his stall, so to speak, to declare what it is he's about. So he says to God, how can I know? Now, there's an interesting question. How can I know about the future? Would you like to know a little bit about what's coming? Would you like to be sure about what's coming in your life? How can I know if I'm going to get that job I'm going for next week? It would be kind of nice to know before you went to the interview, save you having a lot of nerves, wouldn't it? How can I know if I'm going to pass my exams I've just taken? How can I know if I'm going to pass my driving test? How can I know if I'm going to find the right person to be my husband or wife in life? How can I know these things? Seems like a big order that Abraham was asking God. How can I be sure this is going to work out? What he said, to him: how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Now, God's simple answer is this. Okay. Let's. Do a deal. Let's shake on it. I don't know if people still do this anymore, but years ago, before we got internet and paper and typewriters and modern accountancy methods, when people did a deal, they would shake hands on something. Have you ever seen anybody do that? I've done some deals where I've shaken hands on them. It's an interesting concept, actually. Right up to that moment, I, was, I remember when was booking up a, a boat to take a load of young people on from church. And right up to the moment, I was just talking with the guy who owned the boat. And we were sort of horse trading a bit and how much it was going to cost. And, you know, he's trying to pre- take the price up, and I'm trying to take the price down. He said, OK, you can have a lower price, but no life jackets and things like this. And so we're trying to do a deal with the life jackets and uh, so on. And, and then at that point, he said, OK, it's a deal. And then before I knew what, he stuck his hand out and he took hold of my hand and he shook it. It's a strange thing when you press somebody's flesh, when you actually you connect with them. And say, I can't go back on this now. If he's shaken hands with me, he really means that's the price. It was a good price too. He got a full boatload. We got the whole boat to ourselves. I mean, everybody everybody won on the deal. But the minute we shook hands, it was like something transferred between us. And this is what happens here between God and Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to be so sure about this promise, so sure about this vision, I'm going to shake hands with you. And the way God shakes hands with him is he asked Abraham to go public on it. I shook hands with this guy in the high street. Everybody saw it. You know, it was, well, it was the high street. It was in front of the, 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 the main road going around the, the harbour front there. So the boat was right next to us. so Everybody could see that we shook hands on this deal. This is a public thing. So God says to Abraham, Abraham, I am going to give you the reassurance you want. And it comes in this form. You get ready for the equivalent of making a contract, signing a deal, or shaking hands on it with me. And to do that, he says, make a sacrifice, make an offering, line it all up, and then wait till I turn up. And when I turn up, the way you make the offering is you walk down one side between the carcasses, I walk down the other, and as we cross over, the point at which we cross, that's the deal made. That's how we do it, and everybody can see it. Wow, awesome way to make a deal. So Abraham starts doing this. He starts laying everything out. But then God doesn't show up quite as quickly as he'd hoped. And when God doesn't start to show up, somebody else does show up. It's called the birds of the air. And the birds start to come in. They start to peck at the carcasses that he's laid out there. So he's running around up and down this little lane he's made, waving the birds off, being his own human scarecrow. Get off, get off. No, no, no. So he's trying everywhere to keep this thing clear. Now, Jesus says in the parable of the sower and the soils, when the seed's sown on the path, the birds come and eat it. What he actually says in Luke uh, chapter, five, uh, chapter 8, verse 12 is, Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. See, right from the word go, God wants to put his word, his voice, his vision into our lives. And the moment that arrives in our lives, the birds are there. And those birds are not just our own thoughts. They're not just our own logic working this out. The Bible says, from the mouth of Jesus, This is the work of the enemy. There is an enemy at work to put thoughts into our minds that are negative, doubtful, and uh, not constructive towards God and towards what God wants to do with every one of us. This is the work of an enemy. Uh, One pastor puts it like this. He says, the first voice you hear is God's. The second voice is the devil's. Jesus will say to you, give your life to me. And that next voice will say, Oh, don't do that, it could cost too much. Don't do that, you don't know if it'll work out. And Abraham's starting to get some of those worries here himself. He's saying, What what happens if I if if I go public with Sarah on this thing, what happens if we start buying diapers? We start buying him baby food and we buy a stroller or a pram or a pushchair and we start getting a little you know, the things you put in the nursery, those little mobiles you put up for babies, and we buy a, a cot and we, we paint this thing blue on the inside I don't know how you paint the inside of a tent blue, but you know, we have a blue room in the tent and we get it all all the neighbors are gonna see when we get it all fixed up. We're gonna go public with this thing, we're gonna start to make preparations, and the neighbors are gonna look, how old are you? How old is your wife? Are you adopting by any chance? I mean, are you serious? And the longer it waits, the more stupid you're starting to look. So, some fears are starting to grow in Abraham now. Now, the antidote for the birds, of course, is to chase them away. You and I will always hear those thoughts coming to us. Jesus tells us about them. That's the challenge. That's part of what we have to resist. Those voices in our heads, remember, some of them are not from you. They're stirred up and inspired by a spiritual force. They're not the product of education or logic or your family upbringing or your culture. They're the product of another spiritual world that's trying to pull your life down. And it's as real as that, Jesus says. And if that wasn't bad enough, the birds were bad enough, but then the real problem begins. Because as Abraham is struggling not to give a place for these birds that represent doubt coming on our lives, it says this darkness descends on him and a real fear and terror begins to grip him. Now, there are all kinds of fears around. Let's start with a nice common one, spiders. Who here does not want to pick up a spider? Ruth, your hand will work very quickly. There. By the way, I'm not going to get you up. There are no spiders here today. Okay? This is a spider-free zone. I want you to know that. You can rest in peace. Okay. I could do spiders. Cockroaches, I just really struggle with picking up, especially the long American variety with long antennae. I really struggle picking those up. But spider, I could do sludgy, slimy things. What about snakes and alligators? Anybody up for doing one of those? We, I've just got some pictures on the internet from Louisiana. Louisiana seems to be full of that sort of thing, doesn't it, Jared? They're, they're, well, full of it. They eat them down there, anyway. But um, that is right, isn't it, Chris? They do eat strange things in Louisiana. You so you've heard. I'm asking on Jared. I'm asking on Jared. He'll say no. It's normal food. It's the only McDonald's to serve snake burgers. You know. Um, but what about other things that we're frightened of? Anybody, frightened? Anybody not like being shut in a lift or closed spaces? Anybody a bit worried about that? Get a bit sort. of you take the stairs in preference? That's a few of you, yes. What about fear of the dark? Anybody ever, especially when they were little and younger, anybody get frightened of the dark and wonder what's out there? That's quite a few of us. Okay. So Abraham has to face some fears. Now let me say you something about fears. As the darkness comes down, your fears are magnified, whatever they are. And here's the problem with being in the darkness. You don't know what else is there with you. You might have been on your own a moment ago, but who else has, or what else has crept up to you in that darkness? Now, there was a writer called George Orwell, and he wrote a famous book called 1984. And it was a, a vision for the future that wasn't a really very nice vision. It was a, a terrifying vision of the state ruling and controlling people. I think he wrote it from a very sort of left-wing political point of view, but there are many aspects of the book that have some real good insights in them. And one of them is this: It's called Room 101." And in order to control people, this is what they do. They take you to room 101. And they've watched you and observed you and found out about you. And they've worked out your greatest fear. And it's different for different people. And in room 101, you meet your worst fear. And the, the thought of that fear confronting you is so much, it keeps people in line. It stops them rebelling against the state it stops them being compliant do you know what that's exactly how the devil works with us do you know he blackmails us through fear and this is the way it works now tell me if you've ever heard like a voice like this you won't be able to cope i mean i couldn't cope with the disappointment. I couldn't cope with the pain of seeing that person again or speaking to them or being reconciled with my mother. I couldn't cope with it if they rejected me again. I couldn't cope if this happened to me. I couldn't cope. It would be too much, too painful. By the way, where does the Bible ever say we're called to cope? Does the Bible say things like, we are more than copers? Through Him we gloriously cope. God has called us to coping. You're not called to cope, you're called to be victorious. You're called to overcome. Jesus does not say to Him who copes, I will promise you know, the tree of life or a crown of glory or whatever those things are in Revelation. Coping is what the world tries to do without God. We don't cope. So if you're trying to cope, give up doing that now. There is no coping in life. There is overcoming in life through him who loved us and died for us. Anybody want to overcome in Christ rather than cope? Yes. Yeah, well now Listen. Here's Abraham's biggest fear. I think he was afraid of being on his own. I think he was afraid of being left in the dark with nobody else there. I think he was afraid that one day Sarah would die and it would be just him and his old age pension and his free bus pass. I think he was afraid that at that moment, everything he'd worked for, everything that had built up and gone so well for him that he'd been prosperous with, he'd expanded, he'd got um, respect and uh, prosperity. All of that was going to mean nothing when he's on his own. He's got no one to share it with and no one to leave it to. I think that was his fear. I think that was the thing that was gnawing at him in the darkness. Let me want to say something to you. Do you notice where God speaks to him again? He speaks to him in the darkness. God speaks to him at the lowest point in his life. God calls out to him and reassures him when he's at rock bottom. Not only does our God speak, not only is he different to all the gods in the world, he speaks When it's most inconvenient to him, he comes to us when we're at our worst, not at our best. He visits us when we're in the most terrible depression and loneliness and sadness and feeling defeated. That's when he comes to us. This is a good God, isn't it? I mean, nice to get a visit from Prince Charles or the Queen. How much nicer to get one when things aren't going well? Do you notice they always turn up when there's floods or terrible things happen? It just encourages people. Hey, my home's flooded. It's it's a mess. The rivers come in, all my furniture. Second time it's happened in about 18 months. But Prince Charles is knocking on the door saying, oh, hello, how are you? It kind of makes a difference, doesn't it? Prince Charles is with me at my lowest moment. It encourages you. It lifts you up. Listen, if the prince can come and visit me, we're going to get through this. If the prince can come and visit me, there's a way out of this. If the prince knows about this, somehow it's all going to get better. Let me tell you, if the king of kings knows about it, it's going to get better. If the king of kings visits you, everything's going to change. Yeah. Well, let me say one more thing to you in the darkness, and then we'll have the lights on. I want you to get something here. Many people end up in a situation of darkness in their lives, and then they end up gripped by these fears, and that biggest fear of all, you can't cope. You'll be on your own. And that lie permeates their minds so much so they get really trapped there. And I want to say something to you from our experience with training in life languages. If you, um, most of you will know what that is, I think. Uh, life languages is a Christian-based, Bible-based profiling for how you like to communicate with the world and how you like the world to communicate with you. So It's a training we give here and in other places. It's been a very helpful tool for us. And here's one of the observations from life languages. When we get distressed, we react in certain predictable ways. And if you've done the training, you'll know what that is. But what we haven't uh, talked talked about with most of you is what happens when we continually get distressed in the long term. And what happens is you tend to spiral down even lower than the normal distress levels. And each life language has a particular way of being distressed. And once somebody gets in that position... They're in trouble because instead of orbiting the sun where the earth is near enough to get warmth and light and and live well, you end up orbiting out where Neptune or Pluto are. And that's a dark place out there. You can still see the sun. but It's a long, lonely orbit. And the question is, how do you get in from being that distressed when it's that dark and it's that cold and it's that awkward and that awful? And what people tend to do is the wrong thing. And this is why I'm telling you this. And if you've ever found yourself in this position and got out of it, God bless you. You've done a great thing. If you're in this position now and you want to know how to get out of it, tune into what I'm about to say in the next few minutes. When we're out orbiting with Pluto and it's dark and cold, what we try to do is get people to help fix us. We go for counselling. And that's a good thing. I'm not knocking it. It's an excellent thing. It's helped me in the past enormously and it will help any of us. But there's a limit to what counselling can do. And we go for help in other directions. But there's only one solution that can help us when we're out in Pluto's orbit. And that's to bump into God, bump into Jesus Christ, have a personal encounter with Jesus, and he will shift you back into orbit. And so many folk don't want to do that because an encounter with Jesus has a cost factor to it. It means you have to change something, and we want to be changed without changing. That's a strange sort of conundrum, isn't it? I want to be changed without changing, but that is what human beings are like. You know, I want to change my car and have the, a different one, but I want the same one as well. That gives the garage guy a real headache. What to give you? Most people just buy another one of the same, in different colour, don't they? It's a... Can you hear me in the darkness there? God will meet us in our darkness. The thing that changes us most in our darkness, most in our struggles, most in our fears, most in these difficult situations we're in, is not other people. There's a limit to what other people can do for us. And we need to know that limit. There is a time and a place where it's God and God alone. And it was here for Abraham. Nobody else met him in the darkness. But God spoke to him. He spoke prophetic things to him. He spoke into his life said, listen, you are going to have descendants and this is what's going to happen to them. I haven't just planned to give you a son. I've got the next four or five hundred years planned out. Those of you who like life languages, God is a shaper too, yes. I've got it all worked out for hundreds of years. You're going to have family and families and this is going to happen to them and that's going to happen. And you, you're going to die a ripe old age and you're going to see the beginning of all of this. It's going to be wonderful. It's all going to work out, Abraham. Don't. Be afraid of being on your own. I'm addressing you in room 101 now, Abraham. Your worst fear, your worst nightmare, I'm removing it from you now. Now, can you work with me and resist that fear and say, I will not be afraid. Have you ever tried to resist fear? I'll tell you how it worked for me. Let's have the lights back on. I'll tell you how it worked for me. Many of you, makes a difference when you see the light, doesn't it? You can go out the doors this morning and say, we've been to church and we've seen the light. The first time I walked up a precipitous mountain peak, many of you know I like to do a little bit of walking, a little bit of scrambling and climbing. I was not a natural. I was fearful. We were 3,000 feet up, and it was a sheer drop of over 2,000 feet on each side. And Sally was fine. She's just walking along. What's the problem? I am shaking at the knees. This fear of heights is trying to grip me. I thought, I've got to overcome this. I want to do more of this sort of thing, and it's no good if I'm going to be fearful like this. And I'm trembling like a jelly, and I could hu- I'm on the rock face, and I'm gripping onto it. And I think we're, it's about this wide, you know, it's about six or eight feet wide, and it's 2,000 feet this side, and 2,000 feet that side. And, I, and I, you know, I, I can do this, I can do this, I've got to be able to do this. And I, I'm trembling. And I had to push myself on step by step, take deep breaths, and it was an effort. It demanded something from me. I was in an internal battle. Of course, all these other super fit heroes are walking up the mountain like this, and it's very depressing when you've got big boots and all this gear on, a big rucksack, and some super fit hero comes past you like a coat hanger wearing just shorts and a singlet, and they're running up the mountain. And they say, Hello, how are you? I'm on my third mountain today. Isn't this fun? <laughs> and off they go. That's sort of British as well. Um, and you're thinking, No, this isn't fun. I'm terrified. This is awful, and I'm tired out. How can you be on your third mountain? I'm halfway up my first one, and I'm in big trouble here. Actually, the trouble got worse because as we got to the top, I pushed myself through this barrier of fear, and we just got to the top, and Sally slipped and she rolled out of the gully, and the gully was like a like a, a stone channel in the mountain, and then it's two thousand feet down. And as she rolled, I leant out over. A precipice i didn't want to know and i grabbed her rucksack and i held her by the rucksack straps before she fell out you might think that's a very irresponsible thing to do with your new wife in your first year of marriage but that is what i did so i'm holding her over the precipice she's kind of fine and i'm trying to conquer a fear of heights listen that's what you have to do to conquer a fear of being left alone To conquer a fear of things not working out. To conquer a fear of not having enough money. To conquer a fear that somehow people don't love you when actually they do, you just can't see it. To conquer those secret fears that grip our lives and transform and change the way we behave for bad, it needs some resistance. In the darkness, Abraham had to confront his fear. But God... Met him, and I promise you this the God that promised and loved Abraham loves and promises you as well. And as much as he met Abraham in the darkness, he will meet you and me. He will do it, he will be there at your lowest moment, and he'll bring you in from Pluto or Neptune or wherever you may be orbiting if you look to him and trust him. My last and third point is this believe something, believe God. Now, it's possible to believe in all sorts of things. So let's just recap the story a bit. We've seen a vision from God. Uh, God is speaking to us. We fight off the birds and all the doubts. We resist the fears, even in our weakest place. And then God comes and he speaks to us. It says in verse 18 of uh, Genesis chapter 15, on that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give. God makes the deal. He shakes hands on it and says, Abraham, you will have descendants. So what does Abraham do? What do you do when you're promised like that? Well, the only thing you can do is believe. Hang on and believe. Believe. Just keep believing and never give up believing until you see it happen. That's belief. You know, there's a great line in the, the, the only decent Matrix film was really the first one. But the rest, they just went wacky after that. And uh, the people that made them all that wacky. But there's a great line in one of them. I think it's the first one, the second. And he said, This guy says, I don't believe what you believe. And he says, my beliefs don't require you to. Whether you believe it or not, I believe it, and it's real to me. See, I'm not, I'm not a phased if you say you don't believe it. <laughs> what difference does that make to me? I believe it, and I know this is true. So you're the one that's got some changing to do. I found my belief. I found what I'm looking for, and I believe. And You can't shake me by saying you don't believe. You're the one that's on shaky ground. I'm on solid ground. So what is it that Abram actually has to believe then? Does he have to believe he's a good guy and he deserves a break just for once in his life? That's what some people think believing is. You know, I deserve better. Does he have to believe the Apostles' Creed and the doctrines of the church and the, the rules of that denomination and all that sort of thing down? Mind you, those are good things to believe in, but do some of them anyway. But you know, that's not what he's after believing. He is being asked to believe in something simpler than that, and that's God Himself. It says Abraham believed God. If you want your doctrine summed up in one word, it's God. If you want to know what you should believe, it's God. And not just any old God about the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible. That opens the door to all those other little bits of belief. But the biggest single point of belief is this simple thing. He believed God. He believed him. Now, Jesus says something similar. In John six twenty eight. he's in this debate with the crowd about the bread of life and so on. And the crowd say to him, "Okay then, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Now, they're a Jewish crowd. And so they're thinking, well, do we go to synagogue twice a week? Do we um, read our Torah, our our Bible a bit more? Do we give more money to the poor or to the rabbi? Do we... um, not eat certain other foods before we could eat. I mean, they're thinking religious duties and meetings. And this is how John answers. John 6, 29 says, sorry, this is how Jesus answers. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. That the greatest work of God you and I can ever do is simply to rest in God and believe him. Everything else comes out of that. The greatest work you can do for God is not to feed the poor, although that is a good thing to do. It's not to help people in various ways. That, again, is an excellent thing to do. But the greatest work you can do is to believe in Jesus. Believe in him. That is the greatest of all works. And if you believe in him this morning, you can go out the door and say, hey, I've already done the greatest work this week. started well. Just go and do a few other little works that to, 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 to come as a consequence. Believe him. Believe in the quality of his life and his character and his nature and his mission and what he did. Now, what does that kind of believing look like? I want to just finish with a, a, another example here to try and show you. I want to try and demonstrate something to you this morning. Um, John, could you just nip downstairs and get my, um, my other stooge who's going to help me this morning? I volunteered somebody to help me with this next thing because I didn't think you might want to do that. So... Dave, could you help me with a ladder here, please? What does believing, simply believing, look like? I'm going to show you. It's in this bag. When I show you what's in this bag, you will understand how to believe like Abraham did. You will be as equipped, as spiritual, as holy and as good as he is. You ready for this? Here we are. This is Abraham in the back. You can bring me the ladder, Dave, and just pop it up, up here. Now this is a piece of climbing rope. For the technical among us is called Kern Mantle Rope. And it's the thinnest sort of rope you can get. It's eight millimetres across in diameter. Most climbing rope is nine millimetres. It's a bit thicker, easier to handle. It's a a lot stronger. That one millimetre makes it a lot more bulk in it. If you're abseiling, we've got one here in the building. It's a ten millimetre rope. And you climb on either two two nine millimetre ropes or if you're American, you climb on one eleven millimetre rope. It's a big, thick rope, much heftier than this, much heavier. So this is the lightest, smallest, proper rope you can get. And so with 9mm, they double up. So I'm just going to take one strand of this 8 millimetre rope here and see what we can do with it here. And this is what belief is all about. You see, it's one thing to believe that this rope is rope. and can do something. It's another thing to actually give it a try. So Paul, why don't you come here and help me? This is what it takes to live in our house. Okay, reach down through and put it there. So yeah. Hold that. Hold that there. You've been eating too much breakfast at our house here, Paul. This is, <laughs> even I can get this on... Here, 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 let me. Uh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Got to be tired, It won't work. Right. That screw great anyway. <laughs> you're glad you're not doing this demonstration, aren't you? You're glad it's Paul. You know, we should start an Instagram page called something about Paul and the terrible things that happened to him in church. You know, he, his arm being set on fire or something uh, of that. Oh, yeah. Paul, do you just? Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. I hope our insurance company covers this sort of thing. Okay. Now, do you reckon you could hook that up there, Paul? Yeah, up you go. The screw gets open. Now, remind, I'm trying to give you a vision here. Now, you see, Paul... Are you ready to let go and trust the rope? Dave, why don't you just take the ladder away and save him the problem, right, Paul? So just... <laughs> Look, he's not even in control. I've got the other end of the rope. <laughs> Three legs out. Look at that more dignified pose there. Come on, that's it. Lean back a bit. Look like you're enjoying it. That's it. That's it. Now, just sit still. That'll do fine. Now, look, simply believing looks like this. See, this rope might seem confident enough when he's only got a meter to fall. But that same mountaintop that I was scared on, a few years later, we met a whole pile of people up there who were lost, a couple of times it happened to me, and then I had to get the rope out and rope them up at 2,000, 3,000 feet. And when a rope's holding you at that sort of height, then you really are worried, is this thing going to work or is it going to fail? Now, all that's suspending Paul up there is belief. Eight millimeters of Kermantle rope is his belief. All you have to do to become a great nation is believe God. Believe the one who said, I'll do it through you. It starts there. It starts with a vision. It starts with rejecting fear. And then it just becomes a belief in your heart. I believe God wants to use me to be fruitful. I believe God wants to use me to have faith and help others have faith and then lead them in that faith. Now, if we don't believe, we'll never give the rope a chance. The first time I did this on this rope was not as easy as this. I can remember it was on a railway bridge up near our house between the trains, you know. And I said, no, it was a disused line. It was probably about 30, 35 feet up from that sort of height. And I dangled over the edge on this single piece of rope. And I didn't have any of this gear on that Paul had here. I did what was called a classic abseil with a rope cord around my body. And I just abseiled all the way down there on my own with no safety rope. I don't recommend it. um, But I put my belief in that rope. Do you know what? It worked. It worked, doesn't it, Paul? I better let you down there because it's probably quite uncomfortable now. (laughs) A lighter, A there you go, Paul. Well, well done. That's what believing looks like. That's all you have to do to believe God is to do what Paul did there. Put your trust in something that on the face of it doesn't look that substantial. But it has the backing, the guarantee, the promise, the word of your almighty God. Now, let me summarize and conclude for us. Let me ask you a question again. Can you see a vision for your life? Can you see that God could do with you what he did with Jesus, what he did with Abraham? Give birth to something in you and then the hard part for so many Christians, give birth to something through you into the lives of others. Can We resist our inner fears. Can we do war with them in the name of the Lord and say, I will not fear. Even though fear wants to grip me, I won't let it. I won't have that fear in me. I'm going to pick that spider up. It won't harm me. I am bigger than the spider. Can we overcome those kinds of fears that are really deep in our lives? Can we dare to believe that God really is God? Can we believe that Jesus gave his life for us 2,000 years ago to sort out our pasts, to forgive us for the wrongs we've done, and to give us a brilliant, amazing future? Free from the hang-ups and the holds and the habits and the hurts of the past. If you can do those three things, then this is what's going to happen to you. Change. Transformation. Turnaround. Hope. Can you see yourself helped and different Because God is God. Can you see yourself passing that on to other people and helping them to have faith? Where you get to the point where you actually lead them in faith. Now, finish with I just want to take you back to Abram's tent. Imagine what happened after that experience the birds and with the darkness and the terror and hearing the voice of God and getting that vision. Abram will have gone back to the tent, probably made himself and Sarah a mug of cocoa. Then he he walks in through the tent flap and he says, tonight I encountered the Lord God Almighty. This is what he said to me. He said, Abe, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. A father of multitudes. And Sarah, if he says I'm gonna, well then I'm blooming gonna. If he says you're gonna, you're gonna. You didn't know God was from the West Country, did you? And had a Bristol accent, but he does. Because if he says you're gonna, well then you're gonna. Why don't we stand together and pray? That's Can I invite you to close your eyes and just for a moment, imagine yourself as the person you'd really like to be. I mean the person you'd like to be in God. I'm not talking about some other sort of like to be, but I'm talking about with God's vision for you. Free of hurts and and, hang-ups and things that have damaged your life. Whole and healthy in heart. Able to join in like everybody else seems to have a good time enjoying and you don't seem to be able to. Can you see yourself as prosperous like we said a couple of weeks ago where God's blessing you and doing good things in your life. You, you can do the kind of things Jesus did even without piles of money in the bank. You can still have something to pass on to others and give away. Can you see yourself happy, contented, settled in a great place with God and with others? Can you see that kind of person that God God wants you to be and you want you to be? It just takes a vision, a resistance, and a believing to do it. Can you do that this morning? Can you get a vision of what God wants you to be? Can you resist the doubts and the fears and say, oh, don't do that, don't do that, it would mean change, I can't cope? Can you
1: dare to believe?
0: God could make you not just a healed person, but a healer of people. Someone who not only has faith, but inspires faith in others. Can you see yourself being that kind of person? Because if you can, then you're gonna. Those three things will take you there. while our eyes are closed I'm going to invite two kinds of people to come forward just for a little bit of extra prayer before we finish now you don't have to do this but I think it'd be a good thing for you to do if you know when I was speaking that you're at rock bottom or pretty near or you're in darkness and you feel like you're orbiting out with Pluto and it's cold and it's lonely and it's dark out there and you don't know how to get in Nothing seems to have worked. Would you give Jesus a try today? Would you say, Jesus, you take the keys and drive this car for a bit? Because I've just I just got nowhere here. Would you give Jesus a chance in your life? Would you be willing to give him the steering wheel and say, I'll be the passenger, you be the driver? You, run, you drive my life the way it could be driven. Maybe we'll get out of this darkness and into a better place. Will you dare to trust God for an encounter with Him right now? It will change your life. If you will, I want to invite you to come forward. That's a bold thing to do. Remember, this is public because this has to be something that you win through. In a, it's an inside battle you need to show something on the outside about. If you believe in the Lord Jesus already, but you still feel like you're in a dark place or you're in a struggling place and it just seems cold and dark to you right now, I want to invite you to come forward as well. I just want to come and simply just lay hands on you very quickly and pray for you just as as a point of contact for the Holy Spirit to speak to your life and do something for you and encourage you that God loves you and he is speaking to you in your darkest lowest moment and he's going to bring you out of there if you'll see and resist and believe so I'm going to invite you to come forward now if you want to you don't have to but I think it'd be good for you if you're in that position it will help you overcome something floor's open I'm going to pray for every one of us now. Come forward while we're in that place. Come forward now. It's your invitation. Please don't be ashamed or embarrassed to admit life's got a bit dark. Abraham was there and he became the father of us all. Father, right now, we thank you. You're the God who speaks. You're the God who gives visions. You're the God who speaks to us in our deepest need and our darkest place. And you encourage us. And you give us a message of hope and life and understanding. You love us and you accept us and receive us from that place. Lord, I want to pray for everyone here that we will be able to To see a vision of ourselves changed and transformed in you. Lord, I want to pray right now that we'll be able to resist all those fears inside. And live without fear. Because the love of God is in our lives. And right now, Lord, I want to pray for fears in this place. I want to speak to fears that my marriage will break to go in the name of Jesus. I speak to that fear of a broken marriage to go now in the name of Jesus Lord I ask you for strength in the inner person to resist and rebuke that fear and replace it with faith for a successful marriage Father I speak to fears here now fears of loneliness fears of I'm different fears of I'll never be like that or I'll never be one of them Lord fears of little things and big things fears of financial hardship and ruin fears of I'll never get out of debt fears of of uh, I won't even finish my course, fears of I won't get over this illness or this problem. Lord, I speak to those fears now, fears that I can't cope in life with hurt and pain and disappointment. Lord, I want to speak to those fears and say, Lord, even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You are with us, Lord, in those dark moments. And we will get through, not because of ourselves, but because you're with us. And that's what makes the difference. And you speak in those dark valleys. And you speak in those times. And you turn the situation around. And you bring us through to a better place. God, I speak to those fears to go now from our lives in the name of Jesus. And Lord, may we be a people that just believes. Lord, Paul didn't take out a calculator and start calculating the rope and the load and the strain. He trusted me enough to get on that climbing rope and hang there. He trusted my hand not to let him go. And God, may that be a picture to us all, that we trust you with our lives. In your hands, you control the other end of the rope. And Lord, we're just resting in you in belief. God, I pray, make us a people of vision are people that resist the enemy, are people that believe and have faith. And Lord, through that, we will become fathers and mothers of multitudes, of nations, of growth. Lord, I pray, give us grace to change wherever we need to change. Grace to hear your word into our lives, to believe you and to see that change happen in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray this will be a week filled with power. A week filled with vision in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. While we're still here, what if we can just stay in this attitude of prayer just for another moment? I'm just going to pray for one or two people here. And if you could just reach out and pray for them as well. And if anybody else wants to come and be prayed for, we'll do that. Kaz, why don't you come and help me pray